Welcome to Lehigh Valley Arts Podcast, where we explore the local arts culture in the Lehigh Valley. We'll be doing this through conversations with individual artists, administrators, and organizations. We'll explore all types of mediums with a goal of enriching local art culture. Hey, everyone, and welcome back to the Lehigh Valley Arts Podcast. As always, I'm Ben. And I'm Elise. And we want to thank you for tuning in this week. Mm-hmm. Elise, earlier this week, you had the opportunity to join one of our past guests in a cool VR art gallery experience. Yes. So I volunteer for an emerging arts and community center in Emmaus. It's called Juxtahub. And they have this great digital maker space set up where you can go in and spend time experimenting with different types of XR technology. So virtual reality, augmented reality, they have a couple headsets that you can play with. And um, they've been collaborating with some people in the community. So our former guest, Tyrone Webb, has set up this amazing virtual gallery meeting space in Spatial. And that is a platform where you can use to like meet in, meet in the virtual reality world. Mm. So he set up a gallery space, a virtual gallery space with some of his artwork and then invited a couple people from Juxtahub as well as a couple of the other resident artists from the Banana Factory. And we had like a little meetup. So it was really fun. Oh, that's super cool. Who else was there? So um, Michael Ebsen was there and Kate Hughes. Very and then cool. um, John Edding over from Juxtahub helped set up the whole thing. But it was really fun. Yeah. How would you compare that experience to <clears throat> a in-person gallery where you're walking around? So that was my first time doing, like I work with virtual galleries and virtual tours, yeah. much more from um, experiencing it on a desktop though, or like a phone. This was very like completely immersive. You put on the headset and then you were dropped like in mm. this fake gallery space. So it's like white floors, white walls, fancy benches. There's like an ocean view, um, obviously a digital, like a digital setting. You can tell it's digital when you're in there, but yeah. it's a, it's a cool setup. And the one thing that I really liked about it was, um, you could like jump around and really look at all of the artwork. So I could look at it really closely if I wanted to. I could like jump to right in front of it and like stare at it from like a couple inches away. Like you mm. couldn't do that in a regular gallery. And um, then we also, since we were all just hanging out in there, we had some time to draw like scribbly things or leave post-it notes next to the art we liked yeah. with like little notes and stuff. So it was really fun. I really enjoyed it. That's super cool. Yeah. The other really cool thing is that if you have like a digital wallet set up, um, he had all of his pieces set up as NFTs. So oh, if you were in there with your cool. own like Oculus headset or whatever, you could go in and actually buy his NFT in the virtual gallery space. So that was really unique. Wow. That's super cool. But yeah, very, very cool. Yeah. And among, among many other things, it was just like a really cool like virtual experience. They have different audio settings where you can Definitely. like set it where if you're in close proximity to someone in the virtual space, you can hear them louder than someone who's across the room as if you were in real life, that kind of thing. So the artist group, they were in Bethlehem and we were in Emmaus. So it was like a little bit of a, a geographic reach for us to, yeah, to do that. But cool. it was very fun. Emerging technologies and how they pertain to art is always fascinating. Yeah. And I know yeah. that you have a particular interest in that as well. I do. Yeah. I I work definitely more with um, programs like Google Tour Creator or mm -hmm. Kula or Theasis, which are traditionally used like in a, an educational setting or even like a real estate setting. Yeah. But that's something I've really enjoyed kind of pulling into my world as an arts administrator um, is how can you experience art virtually, mm -hmm. especially during the last year with having definitely. to... Stay home. So, yeah, I know another one of your interests is 
art accessibility and art for the disabled. Yes, and yes. And so do you think that there's any promise based on your experience there for those that have accessibility or disabilities? One of my undergraduate research projects when I was in college was focusing on accessibility in art spaces and accessibility mm-hmm. in public art that's set in a natural setting. So how okay. can you access um, something like a public art piece that's in a very naturally based setting if it's not physically accessible. So the example I used was the spiral jetty in Utah, which is on like this rock laden beach by the salt lake. So I created like a virtual tour example of it to show like there are different ways that you can represent a space, whether it be in person or virtual. So these emerging technologies create like breakthrough opportunities for embracing accessibility, especially in the arts world. So Yeah, definitely. I think that's super cool. Was your first exposure to any of this technology through your undergrad at Penn State? Yes. So I worked temporarily for the virtual education department. They have a Mm. great VR setup there. And actually, while I was working at the galleries there with my boss and our guest today, Ann Lalek, she gave me a lot of freedom and opportunity to experiment with emerging technologies um, and what we were doing in the gallery space. So that was really cool and gave me a really, a really neat opportunity to learn learn more um, and have a lot of freedom to do so. So That's super cool. Yeah. Yeah, I know you and Anne know each other pretty well. And I'm guessing that for this interview, you guys are going to do most of the talking and I'll probably take a bit of a backseat. (laughs) So with that said, I would love to read her bio so that we can go into that conversation. Anne Lalek is an art administrator, art educator, and artist. As gallery director and arts coordinator at Penn State Lehigh Valley, Lalek instituted the art gallery and art studio facilities on Penn State Lehigh Valley's campus in 2010 and continues to work with the facility and administration to infuse the arts into the campus life. Prior to her appointment at Penn State for over 20 years, she served as gallery director, education director, and ultimately executive director of the Baum School of Art in Allentown. Lalek developed jewelry and metalsmithing programs at the Baum School and Penn State Lehigh Valley. Her teaching career spans more than three decades. Her studio is located in Allentown. As an artist, she focuses on designing and creating wearable art objects that chronicle her life as a woman in modern society, using precious and non-precious metals, plastics, and found objects. She received her MFA and BFA at the Tyler School of Art at Temple University in Philadelphia. Well, Anne, thank you so much for coming in today. Thanks for having me. This is really fun. Yeah. We're very excited because you are the first art administrator that we have had on the show. Wow. Yeah. <laughs> Makes me sound official. <laughs> you are official. <laughs> and I'll, I'll just throw out there, I'm really excited to have you in today because Anne has been my professional mentor um, and personal mentor. So I'm very, very happy and excited okay, to have I'm you today. Now, 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 now I'm crying. Don't cry. I'm not really. I'm so thrilled to be here because I have always loved working with Elise. And thank you. Happy to still be working with Elise and happy to meet Ben for the first yes, time today. Happy to meet you as well. Yeah. How did you get started with your art career? Wow. Well, I grew up in Emmaus, so, uh, and now I live in Allentown, so it's not that far away. (laughs) Um, But, uh, you know, I grew up in an artistic family, and uh, art was always part of my life, Mm -hmm. you know. And um, actually, I attended the Baum School of Art. My dad was a director there since 1963, I think. Wow. And I was born in 1962. (laughs) So I started attending there when I was like four or five years old. And it's really kind of funny because we have pictures of me and my neighbors sitting in art class. And 
you know, I'm this little girl sitting there making art and there's such precious pictures, you know, but also some of the art that I'm making in those pictures, they would use as the designs for their brochures. Oh okay, so That's here's awesome. me. I'm, I was a graphic designer. No, really. But back when I was, you know, five years old and, you know, it was such a great community when I, you know, I was too little to really remember. But hearing about it in my my years growing up is Rodale Press would print the brochures and keep the mm. mailing list for the art school, for the bomb school. Mm-hmm. So um, they have these, you know, they always had these wonderful designers, you know, graphic designers who would design these brochures and they would ask for children's artwork to to make them really unique. And they were beautiful. I mean, I have copies of them, so they were beautiful. Um, so, you know, it's such a neat, uh, I don't know what you call it, like history or memory for me that, you know, th- that I actually have these, these, these hard copies of something that I did at that age and wow. was part of the school's history. That's so cool. Um, and at that time, <laughs> the school was at uh, 12th and Walnut Street in Allentown. And um, so anyway, I grew up with the art school. And, uh, you know, I, I didn't want to be an artist, though. So my parents were artists. My father was a professor at Raven College, the head of the art department. Hmm. He was a direct executive director of the bomb school. My mom was a fashion designer. They knew a lot of artists. And to be honest, this sounds terrible, but I thought artists were mostly miserable and unhappy. <laughs> and I don't really know why. I just think that, you know, there was this always a sense as maybe a young girl, maybe a very sensitive young girl, I sensed frustration. Mm-hmm. So when my parents were, who were always very encouraging and my art teachers were always really encouraging to me, would you know, would be encouraging, I would say, you know, this is great and I love to make art, but when it came time to have a career and plan my, you know, what I want to do with my life, I, I thought I don't want to be an artist, you know, Mm -hmm. it's something that I love to do as part of me, but I didn't want to ever make it a career because it was expected that my sister and I Mm -hmm. would have a career. You know, we were, you know, know, in an educated family where we were going to go to college. I really wanted to just get married and have children because I fell in love with my now husband when I was 14. So, you know, <laughs> that could have been that could have been a career path in itself. Yeah. yeah. Um, but anyway, so so, yeah, when it was time to go to college, I said, I want to be a writer. I want to go to school for writing. And um, I went to school for a year at an, a liberal arts school in upstate New York. And then I thought, yeah, I don't like grammar, so I'm not going <laughs> to do this. And I found myself in the art studio, you know, every day. Yeah. Mm. So I came home and I said to my parents, I don't like what I'm doing. I want to go to art school. And my father said, finally, <laughs> finally, you've come to your senses. <laughs> so, um, so yeah, so I went to Tyler School of Art and um, didn't really know what art form I wanted to get into. Um, so I just took, you know, the basic courses. I was a transfer student, so I was like a little bit behind at the time, but um, I found myself in the metal studio and just fell in love with, just fell in love with metal, you know, <laughs> and working with metal. <laughs> um, so, you know, that's really, be- that became my art form and, and my passion. That's super cool. I think that's the first time I've heard someone's parents say finally after saying that they want to go to art school. <laughs> I was thinking the same thing. Well, I know, I know. And that's why I always love to say that because it's, it. it's the honest truth. And, and as so, you know, you said I'm here as an administrator, right? So as an administrator, you know, when I, when I got out of college, I went back for my, my MFA mm. and I got married. So I got married, went for my MFA. My husband and I lived in Philly, went to Tyler School of Art, medals program. 
Um, and I came back to Allentown to work at the bomb school and help my parents. You know, there was there was discussion. I had some offers going up um, in Worcester, Massachusetts and things like that. But I, I ended up for many reasons staying in the valley. Mm-hmm. And one of the things that used to come up often in my work at the bomb school, because I was the education director and the gallery directors, uh, my dad and I would often meet with parents and teenagers who were making decisions about what kind of career they would have. Mm-hmm. And of course the parents would often be saying, but you know, my son wants to go to art school. What's he going to do with an art degree? <laughs> you know? And, uh, and I learned this from my father and I started saying it myself is that when a parent of a teenager would have a conversation with me and my father, you know, when we were at the art at the bomb school, and, the, and their, their concern was, you know, what is my son going to do with an art degree? You know, my dad would say, anything your son does in life, he will do better after studying art and having that art degree. Mm-hmm. Even if he doesn't become an artist. Yeah. Even if he's not, not going to make a career out of an artist, anything he does, he will do better because he will learn how to see. He will learn how to ob- observe. And there's so many skills that we learn as, as art students and things that we teach as our professionals mm. um, to students. So I, I always loved that idea of, um, you know, my parents totally encouraged me to go into the arts. And it is, if it's your passion, you know, you need to go with your passion. 100%. And whatever you end up doing will become, you will do better. Yeah, yeah absolutely. Well, it's it's so funny because to connect even just back to our last episode, something that I think I said when we were talking about art school and um, just how aware it makes people and how I always find artists to be just the smartest people because Mm. there is such a sense of awareness of the world around you that I don't necessarily know that in another career path, another education path that you would be forced to sit down and really like study something or really like learn something with having that spatial or societal or political or whatever the awareness is to it. And I think that's something so unique to art and art education. Mm-hmm. That's just yeah. really cool. And right. yeah, you're forced for, for one thing, you're, you're forced to um, get to know yourself and Absolutely. you're forced to get to know the world around you. And the, don't they always say the hardest thing to do is sit sometimes to sit in front of a blank canvas. I know when I teach um, college students, the hardest thing for many of them is to just kind of come up with that idea. And yeah. if, if I tell them what to do, you know, cut out this shape and then solder it to that, they'll do it. But it's it's thinking and imagining and and learning that process that is it's it's hard. And you're right. Art students are the smartest people. <laughs> Artists are the smartest. You people. heard it here. Yeah. That's right. Yeah. Well, you you wear many hats. So administrator, teacher, you're an artist yourself. In your artistic process, do you kind of come up with the concept first or how does how does your process look when you're making art? Yeah, well, I'm a metalsmith. So, um, you know, that's really my material I work with the most. And so I think it's both um, in some ways, but I have to say that my work... Although, you know, I make, I'm a, I mostly make jewelry, wearable um, work. So I think most people look at it and think it's 
not conceptual. But what I would like to say is that everything I make is based on the fact that when I was a young woman and I found myself enamored with metalsmithing and actually plastics too. I mean, I, in the 80s, I was making my own plastic. <laughs> um, the concept of wearability and the idea that when people make a decision to wear a piece of jewelry on their body, they're saying so much about who they are. I mean, that is the concept that is at the heart of everything I make. So starting with that, starting with this idea that someone is making a decision to wear something that's not a necessity on their body, and then, then that kind of grows into this concept of when I was a young woman, I was sort of overwhelmed with the notion of wanting to have a career, having an art career, having a family. I was newly married. Um, I wanted to have children. And I was so overwhelmed with how to do all that. And it, and it, I coined this, this phrase of desirable burdens. So I wasn't complaining that I wanted all these things and that I, it was going to be hard to have them, but I was sort of identifying them that these are all wonderful, desirable things that I want in my life. And I kind of added to that list of, you know, possessions, beauty. You know, trying to achieve beauty, what do we do, especially as women, to, mm -hmm. to you know, to, to achieve that? So all these different things became these desirable burdens. And that, that too, again, you know, the idea of burdens being wearable or burdens being something you carry on your body. So that concept has continued with me throughout. So mm -hmm. everything kind of goes back to that. Mm -hmm. Um some of my work is very sculptural. Sometimes it's very large. And again, that goes back to this idea of burdens. Mm -hmm. um, I, I experimented a lot in my younger years with technology like electroforming because you could make la large forms where the metal was very um, thin and light um, but strong. So you could make large forms that were very lightweight. They looked like they were super heavy, but they weren't. Uh, plastics were another thing that kind of allowed me to really mm. experiment with size and proportion of the body and the wearable mm -hmm. um, element. So, you know, so, you know, to answer your question, <laughs> the, the concept does always carry through, but the materials are super important too, mm -hmm. you know? So um, I would say that they both play in like this one mm. recent series that I did. Uh, actually, I'm still working on it where I'm trying to represent every seven years of my life as a woman, sort of like a diary. And in that work, I'm representing, I'm using the materials to represent um, the different phases of my life. Mm -hmm. As a young woman, as a mother age woman, and as a elderly woman, which I am now. So <laughs> I, I also use a lot of Jungian psychology in my work. So this, this notion of um, the flower, the fruit and the seed. Mm. And in, if you read some of that psychology, he also would, or, or Jungian psychologists, I should say, refer to this as the maiden, the mother and the crone. Mm. <laughs> so I am now a crone, but as a maiden, I used uh, paper. I drew 
and I used paper and I also sewed a lot. So fabric, so fiber and paper, it mm-hmm. was my maiden material. As a mother, I mostly used metal and plastic. And as a crone, I use it all. But in my in these pieces where I did these sort of, they're sort of like flowers. Mm-hmm. The paper is the flower. The metal and plastic is the fruit. And usually a gemstone is the seed. That's the work where I used AR, augmented reality. <clears throat> so I would write and talk about the, the work too. Mm-hmm. That's cool. Yeah, I was, I was actually going to ask how going to school for that first year with a literature interest has played into the rest of your work. Yeah. Well, so that's another thing. When I was, uh, when I first went to college, I was, you know, I was what, what are you when you go to college? 18? I was 17 or 18. (laughs) I was a baby. I thought I wanted to be a writer. I really thought I wanted to be like um, Lois Lane. I wanted to be a journal. I thought I wanted to be a journalist. Hmm. I thought that's what I wanted to do. But what I didn't understand was I really liked poetry and creative writing. I really Mm -hmm. wanted to write poetry. (laughs) So that's why it kind of all didn't mesh when I went to school and thought I was going to go into journalism. But I do, I, yeah, I've always liked, liked to read and, that's awesome. <laughs> yeah. And I think, well, after experiencing the augmented reality combined jewelry project, um, there is definitely a written component to that. And in when the user or the viewer experiences it, they hear it as like an audio clip of you speaking, but someone had to write that. And it's quite beautifully written. It's very eloquent. And Thank you. I worked very hard on writing this. <laughs> and the idea, so for our audience who doesn't maybe really know what we're talking about, mm-hmm. So I created these pieces that, you know, they're wearable, they're pendants, but um, I used HP Reveal, which isn't around anymore, right? It's gone away. (laughs) Um, And I was helped by our virtual education department at Penn State, Lehigh Valley. So the idea is that I would use this technology and it's, um, it's sort of like using a QR code, but instead of recognizing the QR code pattern, it recognizes an image. Mm-hmm. So mm-hmm. so I would put into HP Reveal that it would recognize a piece of the pendant. Like, so it might be the gemstone. Mm-hmm. So that when someone could, if someone had HP Reveal downloaded the app on their phone or on an iPad, they could put it up against the, or recognize the gem and then you, you would hear my voice. Mm-hmm. Um, and also because there's a visual component, I would kind of create a little video out of it. But I would then write and then read, narrate the, a clip. But, you know, it can only be like 20 seconds because someone's not going to stand there for more than 20 seconds to, right, <laughs> to right. listen to this. <laughs> so that's where the, the hard part with the writing came in because I wanted to say something. There's something I knew I wanted to say about mm-hmm. that point in my life. But getting it all in mm-hmm. like a 20 second clip or less was hard. Yeah. No, but it's. That's such a cool skill to have. Not only can you make the art, but you can also, (laughs) you can convey that in words and convey the feeling that the art, making the art created for you, but then the feeling of the viewer looking at it integrated with the written piece is just, that's just so cool. But technology as it is changes and HP reveal goes away. And now I have four pieces made and I was going to make seven and I have to figure out how to... We can we can come up with Will something. someone help me with this, please. <laughs> <laughs> uh. Absolutely. Well, you've definitely not only in your artwork but in your administrative work, um, and since I've had the pleasure of working with you, have 
definitely embraced and integrated technology into mm -hmm. what you do. I try. Yeah. <laughs> Have to stay with the times here. Well, as someone who describes them, who literally just described themselves as a crone. Yes. <laughs> you are, you are not technologically inept by any means. <laughs> well, yeah, I think I am, but I, I try hard. With people like you around me, Elise, it, it makes it easier because you have taught me, quite seriously, you have taught me a lot. And there's things that I wouldn't have even thought to do without people like you around me. So, well, thank you. <laughs> well, and so in your current position and where we had the chance to work together, you are the gallery director and arts coordinator over at Penn State Lehigh Valley. Yeah, we have a, we have a lovely campus over in Center Valley and we have the Ronald K. DeLong Gallery and we have a community gallery and we have a campus art collection that hangs around all all different parts of the campus and we're just doing an, a mosaic um, with tiny little tiles with artist chris bonner that's going to be in our new expansion and uh, at least you're looking at me you're waiting for me to say that we did a wonderful installation project all about the spotted lantern fly a few years ago was that two years ago i guess that was about two yeah. years ago I, I was just excited to get into talking about um, community arts projects oh. because I don't know. I don't necessarily think of a college as a place that's hosting or facilitating um, a project like that. And there's been so many that you've been a part of or that you have spearheaded that are just so cool. Uh, even even the mosaic that with Chris mm -hmm. that is is very recent. Um, well, you know, I if you're you know, it's funny you're saying that, and I think that some of my interest comes from all of my years working at the bomb school. I mean, mm. community arts is what has been ingrained in me all my life and for most of my career. Um, so it's possible that I'm, I'm bringing that flavor to the college campus. Oh, I think it's more than, <laughs> than possible. I think you most definitely are. <laughs> yeah. Well, the spotted lantern fly project, if, if that's something you'd like to talk about. Oh, I'd love to talk yeah, about that. That. <laughs> that. I have to say, that was an initiative from the university, mm. um, you know, mm. main campus. Campus arts. Campus <laughs> arts initiative um, was was a project started by a few people up at University Park who actually got a grant to fund eight projects across the university. And mm -hmm. so campuses could apply and colleges within the university could apply. So we applied and we were one of the eight that were was selected to do this project and mm -hmm. went through a grueling process of vetting artists, you know, from across the country who were applying to do a community, uh, what, what they called it a um, public art mm -hmm. uh, initiative. And so, you know, it was this idea that you selected an artist that came through their vetting system and um, not really knowing what the project would be, and then the artist was selected. We knew we kind of wanted to do something with the Spotted Lanternfly because, you know, we have the Penn State Extension close to us. One of our professors, um, Dr. Karen Cackley, has been, you know, doing a lot of research about the Spotted Lanternfly. So mm -hmm. it was kind of a neat way to pull the sciences and the arts together. Yeah, absolutely. I. I'd say it was a very kismet project because I think 
in being part of the selection, the final end of the selection process when I started working for the project, um, we had the opportunity to meet virtually with artists and do like video interviews and talk about what their community arts focus was. And we just so happened <laughs> that one of the artists was Elsa B. Dixon, who had grown up in South Africa, had a lot of experience with silkworms and creating art uh, with bugs and about the life cycle of bugs and insects, which was oddly specific and directly related to <laughs> um, a campus that has focus and research on the spotted lanternfly. So, yeah. And well, and we were drawn to her immediately, mm -hmm. as you said, and um, she also did done a lot with bees mm -hmm. and I think cicadas too. Yes. I think so right. we were just, you know, I mean, there was, there were a few artists that we wanted to have more interviews with, but we were immediately drawn to Elsa B. And when we did, you know, start, I guess, get more one-on-one -on -one with her. She didn't even know what a spotted lanternfly was. You know, we kind of introduced, we introduced her to that because we, we thought, you know, maybe with your interest, you would do this. And and then she sure went to town. Yeah, no kidding. Wow. <laughs> well, I'd love to ask both of you about your involvement on that project and what your involvement looked like. Because I know you were both involved. We were both involved. <laughs> um Gosh, well, I was, I, I guess you'd say like Dr. Liz Flaherty and I were the co-chairs of it. I mean, mm -hmm. we on a kind of, she's one of our professors at our campus. She's mm -hmm. um, the head of our arts administration program and an art history professor and an artist. Um, so she and I co-led the project and Elise was our assistant. I mean, you were the, the assistant on the project. I don't know. You know, it's sort of a blur, at least. I think you're going to need to fill in. <laughs> well, I think we were in a really unique position where not only was it a good time for the campus to be working on this project, but it was a good time community-wise to be working on this project mm -hmm. because this was about two years ago, right when all of the lanternfly, like when people were really mm -hmm. just becoming super mm -hmm. hyper aware of what lanternflies were. Yeah. So from a science perspective, from an agricultural perspective, there was so much focus on what are these bugs? How can we get rid of them? And what in the hell are we supposed to do with them? Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Um, and I think from the campus side, it, there was a cool opportunity for me to be hired on and help with this project. And it just grew astronomically, maybe, and I don't want to say more than some of the other campus mm -hmm. arts pro projects, but it was just such a it was a good time for everyone it, and there was such community interest in what is this disgusting right. little insect, right. which is actually quite beautiful. Um, mm. But how did, it was just perfect timing for all of it. It was. And you know what? You're, and you're, you're being a, a resource for us at the time. I mean, you're being a student at that time really was important because you took a, that on as a big part of your commitment. Mm. Um, and I believe like kind of like I think you've just said is I think some of the other campuses didn't have the resources we had the the, the manpower because right. we did have someone like you uh, who you're just you know you're just really bright young woman hardworking person anyway and talented and you. then you know and then we had like the, all the science people kind of behind us too yeah um so we we really it was a great team and it was good timing there were it was funny though there were people who were criticizing us you know why are you celebrating this awful horrendous bug that's killing our trees and you know people <laughs> like some people just didn't get in where and we're trying to explain no we're trying to bring awareness to 
the community because mm. there's a lot of people also who didn't even know what what it was yeah. and, and learned about it from this project and that was the whole idea to to, to make people think about what's mm. happening and yes it is a beautiful bug and Elsa yeah. B made a point of saying too um she said you know usually my projects don't have to do with killing the animal <laughs> killing the bugs because we did have we did have to put them to sleep forever yeah. you know i mean there was a pennsylvania mandate for that was and there was there yeah. actually was so we were doing a good thing but there were but there's also a lot of naturalists who were very upset with us and i don't yeah. mean to make fun of their beliefs no. but there were so it was you know it was kind of interesting because there were people mm. that were really rallying around this and then there were people who were just not happy with this and then there were people who thought they were into it but then when they started like doing it they're like okay this is yeah. kind of gross and <laughs> well i think from the arts the art side of it too something that i found really interesting was there was a significant amount of public backlash regarding funding saying why would you be funding an arts project with science with science money money right environmental money like people were you're right i forgot about it. you yeah. were confused that we were taking money from uh, a, a resource that could be used to improve the environment, mm. but we weren't because this was art money. This was money came for an art yeah. project that we chose mm -hmm. yeah. to do this more public awareness campaign yeah. about. Right. Well, and I think the cool part of that as a student and as your first like big kid job was recognizing that people don't view art the same way that they view other things which i knew that of course but it was just so interesting to see it in practice where think of all of the people that were involved or touched or affected by this project in comparison to how many people might mm. see like a pennsylvania state mandate poster from the agricultural department like we had in total probably seven to ten public workshops mm. each with pretty good attendance. We had done presentations at school where we taught community members, kids about the lanternfly, why it was bad, why it was something that needed to be, what was the? Exterminated. The stomp and squish. <laughs> <laughs> um, but it was, I'm not sure that in another setting in our community that that would have had the same amount of impact. Mm. I mean, we even had a, at a workshop at um, a local brewer at Cave Brewing Company, mm -hmm. which was really cool where people sat down and we kept calling it wings and beer, because, <laughs> which is hysterically <laughs> funny. But um, the connection was so pure because we were sitting there pulling the wings off of bugs to create this art project for a local brewing company who, if the lanternfly were to overpopulate and ruin agricultural practices in Pennsylvania, they wouldn't get the hops they needed to make beer. So it was just right. such a cool, yeah. cool integration of that art and cool. science. And business. <laughs> yeah. Business, yeah. agriculture. No, you're right. You're yeah. right. And you nailed it. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> and not that I want to, but I was thinking of something when Elise was just talking about communication. Mm. I wasn't thinking so much about the story that we were sharing about the public, um, you know, sometimes outrage, but communicating and 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 kind of coming back to my job as an administrator i mean so people see the parts of this they see the beer and wings events and the workshop events and they see the finished piece 
uh, the Facebook posts. You know, they, there's there's some great footage of us using a shop vac and sucking up the bugs at Coca-Cola Park. And I mean, there's like all this really crazy fun stuff. And that's what you see. But what people don't see is all the detailed communicating and um, the, the things that go on behind the scenes. Mm -hmm. um, the organization, the reaching out to all those people that did participate. And, you know, and that's where I think some people would find it very boring, but I get really excited about the project management, I would say, of a project like that like yeah. what's happening behind the scenes all those little things all the emails all the phone calls all the lists i mean at least how many lists did i have you oh, create and the... oversee <laughs> you know you remember all that i mean there's i actually happen to find that really interesting yeah. um I mean, to do, I not to talk <laughs> about maybe, I don't know how interesting it is, but there is so much communication that goes on. And, you know, artists are a unique breed. You know, I'm an artist, so I can say this. I mean, I just feel, you know, communicating with artists. Elsa B is, I think, a genius. I think she's an amazing, talented artist. She's, her ideas are phenomenal. You know, but sometimes just our communication is, you know, I'm kind of speaking one language and she's speaking another. Mm -hmm. um, and I'm uh, probably if, if you know, a business person, like maybe our accountant on campus was trying to talk to her, he would be speaking a whole other language, you mm -hmm. know. So communication is important and especially working with artists. Definitely. Yeah. Well, I think that's the huge like glowing endorsement for arts administrators is how many arts administrators are also artists and how does that play into well, into their skill as an arts administrator? And and you know what, I'm going to give a plug for our campus right now and for Penn State, and I really hadn't thought of doing that coming here, <laughs> wink, wink. But, um, you know, we have an arts administration degree and that is new. That's a new thing. I mean, maybe in the last 10 years, people mm -hmm. have started recognizing it's important to train people of all the administrative work, you know, grant writing, communicating, you know, web design, I don't know, all the different things that you need to do. You know, I was, a I'm a fine artist, really. I mean, I just happened to be raised by two tremendously talented arts administrators. <laughs> so, you know, that I, I kind of learned through my life. But, you know, a, a lot of people, like you said, Elise, are running organizations who are fine artists and they were mm. they were trained as an artist they weren't trained for that world or an art historian which is another um really specialized area mm -hmm. and doesn't necessarily necessarily require the skills to run a business which mm -hmm. yeah which you know we yeah. do well we've talked about that just even casually in terms of um so ben ben went to film school and um, like the management of a set or the management of oh, yeah. um, just the organization of getting people there. You had at some point made a comment about there'd be days on set where people would just be standing around because no one knew how to organize. Yeah. <laughs> so in, in addition to the Lanternfly project, um, you have definitely brought that community arts voice um, to the campus and to our area. So are there other community arts projects you'd like to? Well, Actually, you had mentioned earlier mm -hmm. one of the exhibits we did um, at the campus in 2013, the 100th anniversary of the 8th Street Bridge. Yes. Which 
was phenomenal. I mean, it really it was it was an exhibit, mm-hmm. um, and I'll I can explain how that was curated, but it also became this big community event. We had an event on a I think it was a Sunday in November. Oh gosh, can I remember the date? November seventeenth, two thousand thirteen, because that was the <laughs> day that the Albertus Myers Bridge, which we commonly call the A Street Bridge in Allentown was dedicated. Mm. So wow. I think, I, I, yeah, going back here, but I think <laughs> that was it. And we had our event on that day. And through our, so we created a catalog. I'll talk about the art in a minute, but we created <laughs> a catalog of the art that was in it. And, in, and then we thought, wow, we're doing this cool catalog. Why don't we get some photographs of the bridge being mm. built? And the graphic designer at the time on our campus um, helped me start researching um, and we found a website uh, that turned out was run by the son grandson i don't know of one of the en- of one of the engineers hmm. so we had to get permission to use the photograph so when we contacted him for permission he and his family flew out from oh my goodness oh my gosh where were they from the middle of the country somewhere <laughs> um I can't remember, but they were like somewhere like north central United States up north. Mm-hmm. They they flew out for our event because wow. they were so excited that we were doing the show. I mean, and then people from all all over the area came. We had a a, a big crowd. Oh, that's yeah. so cool! And um, we had um, the we partnered again with the community. The um, Heritage Center had a historian come and talk. Did a lecture about the bridge. Uh, Frank Whalen wrote some pieces about it for our catalog. Um, George Miller, our dear George Miller, who's just recently passed, he he played General Trexler because uh, he does he did General Trexler like no one else could act like General <laughs> Trexler because General Trexler funded the bridge. Mm-hmm. Uh, okay. And so anyway, it was, it was, um, just talk about a community. Oh, and, and the campus, we had the engineering, uh, some of the engineering professors had their students do engineering projects that kind of related to the idea of, you know, designing a bridge, um, and stress points and all these things. And, and the, and so what's dear to my heart is the whole idea came from the fact that my husband, who's in construction and who is just concrete has always been one of his passions has always loved that bridge, just always did. And so in our young adult years, moving back to the area, he started collecting art done um, like 19, the bridge was built in 1913, things in the 1920s, um, Mm -hmm. well-known artists, John John Berninger, Walter Baum, um, I'm forgetting names, some lesser well-known names, but but people whose work has been sort of circulating. Mm. So we have this collection of paintings. And so what we did, we always said, oh, in 2013, we're going to do a show somewhere (laughs) of this work. So in 2013, I was at Penn State, so we did the show at Penn State. And then, but in addition to those, I think our collection was maybe like, maybe 15 works. Mm -hmm. I invited about 15 artists to create work. Oh, very cool. So we had modern artists and we had... Um, you know, artists that were no longer living. Mm-hmm. Um, like Heather Sinkavage yeah. did this phenomenal piece of, they were kind of like lumps. They looked like little lumps and she had them 
arranged in a shape that when the light hit them, they created a shadow which looked like the those arches, arches that go under the, the bridge. bridge yeah. But there was a sound component where um, you'd hear this thump, 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 thump. And she, her story was that as a young girl, her mother used to bring her to the bomb school. She was one of my students. Um, and she would fall asleep in the back of her mom's car on the way from Emmaus to Allentown. And when her mom would drive over the 8th Street Bridge, the, at that time, there were those breaks in the bridge or whatever, and the car would go thump, 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 thump. <laughs> so oh, she knew so she cool. was at, she, she knew she had to wake up. She was almost at our class. Aww. Yeah. <laughs> so it's like all these like, oh, just, it was a great show. I mean, it was, it was neat. And we created a video of the artist speaking so that when, about some of the artists, when you would approach their work, there was a little iPad mini that you could, you know, tap on and the mm -hmm. artists would talk about the work. Mm. Yeah. Yeah, that was a that that's was a, that's a cool project, and I've seen a lot of a lot of the work um, just in the booklet from mm -hmm, the project, mm -hmm. and it's it's uh, I don't know what the right word like almost I local iconography yeah, like even yeah. something you look at it and oh I've seen that bridge before yeah. I know that bridge and yeah. I know yeah. um, it just well, I love the connection yeah, yeah. The I mean and it was a significant bridge I mean it was designed to to connect the north and the south side of Allentown. Mm -hmm. So that's why General Trexler funded it. It was good for the economy. It was good for the business mm -hmm. of, the, <laughs> of the area. So, yeah, there's, there's a lot of interesting history about that bridge. Yeah. That's super cool. Yeah. And, and it's just so much fun when everyone gets involved. Like when, you know, it doesn't happen that often. Yeah. yeah. When, yeah. You, when yeah. there's some idea that sort of sparks the imagination of, like I said, the engineering professors or the the, the different administrators and mm -hmm. people in, in the community and on the campus. So moving from community arts projects to what's physically in the building, and there are two, two gallery spaces, mm -hmm. the Ronald K. DeLong Gallery and then the community gallery space. Um, during during your time as the gallery director over there, are there specific shows or specific artists, exhibitions that have really stood out to you or that you've enjoyed working on? Yeah. Um, <laughs> actually, every time I'm working on an exhibit, I get so excited about it. But there is one that I just think had a lot of components to it that I found really exciting. Um, was was a collaborative exhibit with the painter Holly Brigham and the poet, Marilyn Nelson. And they had already collaborated. So they came, Holly came to me with an idea and she said, you know, we have, they, it was an exhibit that they already had been working on. Um, and, and I'm hoping I'm going to say all this right. Cause it was back in 2016. I'm trying to remember all the details, but Holly created paintings, watercolor paintings of religious women like nuns mostly nuns hmm. uh, many of them were christian nuns but she did decide to kind of branch out and do some other cultures too mm -hmm. and i'm not going to say specifically because i will not do it justice mm -hmm. but they were each each image was 30 by 30 inches um so fairly large watercolor and marilyn nelson who's a very well-known poet wrote a poem to go with each nun, each religious female figure. And the paintings are stunning and poignant. I mean, they're 
actually they're Holly's self-portrait. Most of them are her self-portraits, but put in the, you know, the 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 clothing of the nuns. And then all a lot of symbolism um in the in the setting that the nun is sitting in. And then Marilyn, of course, Holly would do the research and put these elements in her paintings, but Marilyn would do the research and and write about like the voice of it was the voice of the woman. So, you know, it was saying maybe in written in the first person. Like so it was really powerful. So we hung the artwork, the, the paintings next to very large prints of the poetry. And some of the things that were neat about it was that Holly with each painting had a relic box. So there's a little box that had glass over and a little frame and, and maybe like five by seven inches that you had to hang on. I had to hang on the wall with the painting. So maybe if it was one of the nuns had this thing about she was, you know, married to Christ. So she had a wedding band. So in Holly's relic box was a wedding band. So we decided this was a really good time to make this exhibit accessible to the blind. So the Lehigh Valley Arts Council was supporting training sessions for audio describing for the blind. And I had already attended one session at the Allentown Art Museum that they had funded. But we at Penn State decided to do a little community workshop. And with funding from the council, we hired Mimi to come and uh, we invited some of our staff and faculty. We invited uh, actually people from the Banana Factory came and Lehigh University came and um, a few other places. And so we did a training session. So we learned how to audio describe a painting. And through that training, a few of us each picked a painting and did the audio description for it. Yeah, uh, We recorded our voices and then we took our little iPad minis that our gallery has and we put the iPad mini next to the painting. So all you had to do was touch it and you'd hear the description. And so in the description, we would describe the painting and then we would read the poem. So it was kind of a good audio kind of thing because you could read the poem too. Yeah. Yeah. Um, you know, because most of my exhibits don't have poetry in them <laughs> so that was really neat and then the other thing we did that it was so much fun for me was i made little shelves that hung that went with every grouping and so we had the painting the poetry the relic box and the audio description um ipad like the ipad mini with the description but also every set had a little shelf with whatever the relic was i recreated so if the relic, for instance, was a wedding band that somebody could walk over and like touch it and feel it and pick it up and mm. handle it so that you could get the sensory oh, so feeling. I, so this was before my time at the Arts Council and at Penn State. Right. Like just before. And I didn't realize in talking about this that the relic wasn't already the tactile piece. No. So you entirely, you created copies of all of the relics for each of the pieces. I did. And created your own tactile and components yeah. for the gallery. Very yeah. cool. Yeah. And that was fun for me because I like to make little <laughs> things, you know. So, you know, one of them was, oh, it was so much fun. One of them was a hair, a uh, braided piece of hair because one of the nuns cut her braid off or something. Mm -hmm. So in the relic box was this braided hair. Um, so I had to like go to a, you know, Sally's beauty place and buy a piece of, you know, hair extension. <laughs> yeah. And, uh, some of the things I had to solder and like make, and, and as I'm talking, I can't remember all of the things, but 
it was it was really fun and it was also at the time that our campus got that robot okay so Marilyn lives I don't know where Marilyn lives upstate New York or Massachusetts somewhere up north Holly lives down near Philly so we would have students come in the gallery. We had Marilyn up on a screen. We were, I don't know what we were doing back then, videoing, re- bringing her in live stream. Skype or something. Skype, I guess. <laughs> and then we had Holly on the beam. So Holly, we have pictures of Holly in the beam, like the beam with Holly's face, yeah. talking to Marilyn on the big screen. They're actually talking to each other and the <laughs> students are asking them questions. Oh my it was really neat. And it was so accessible. I mean, that whole show was so accessible. Yeah. yeah. And, and not, then, not just disability accessible, right, like you're talking from like geographically oh, accessible. Yeah. 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 Very cool. And, and I was so thankful to, I mean, I do want to give a shout out to like people, um, Claire at the Allentown Art Museum. I think she's still there. I can't remember her last name. She came and audio described one for us. Stacy Brennan came and audio described one of the paintings for us. Um, I did one of them. Ron DeLong did one. I think I ended mm. up doing two because I, I needed, <laughs> I think we had needed eight. I can't remember who else. So like all these people like came together. I mean, so again, I guess it really was a community project, even yeah. though I didn't really start off that way. Um, and then the... Um, Oh, one of the organizations for the blind came and did some meetings in our campus and they got to experience the exhibit. Oh, yes. The, the volunteer group from formerly Center for Vision Loss is now Sites for Hope. But is um, that the group? Yeah. The yeah. They've, they've been working pretty regularly with the Arts Council on yeah. some audio descriptions. Yeah. They, but we, yeah, we hosted a number of, of um, people who were able to, you know, see. Yeah differently um what we were showing so it was it was that was a favorite that's one that i i that's a cool show it makes me so sad to think i missed that by like a year <laughs> 2016 mm. were you there in 16 no nope. no you nope. were there later yeah um one of the shows that i really enjoyed uh during my time at penn state and working there was the hashtag me too show and oh, yeah. the combination with um, the What Were You Wearing exhibit. And I'd just like to offer, uh, Mm. right before we talk about this, a little uh, trigger warning that this gallery exhibition and exhibit does does discuss sexual assault. So I'll just throw that out there before we start. But the What Were You Wearing exhibit um, is, I won't call it traveling, but it's a format for a gallery show that can be picked up and dropped figuratively into any um, gallery space. And it's been fairly successful or fairly re reutilized by um gallery spaces on college campuses because it was um created by two professors um from and i'll have to include it in the notes um, because they deserve an amazing amount of credit for this project but it was a combination of um stories of college students who had been sexually assaulted and the clothes that they were wearing when it happened. Mm -hmm. And what was really unique and personal about putting the show together at Penn State Lehigh Valley was that we had students from the Arts Administration Club and students from RISE, which um, is an anti-sex trafficking advocacy group, student group, um, come together and go through some of the stories that are provided as part of the gallery exhibition. And then we actually went thrift shopping together to buy all the clothes for the exhibit. 
So it was very emotional. Mm-hmm. It is a fantastic show with a deep emotional connection that I, I hate to say I enjoyed working on it, but I, I really did. I feel a very personal connection to that show and the time that we spent working on it. Um, and you said that you saw that at Baylor. When you- yeah, we, we had an exhibit of that at Baylor. They mm-hmm. took a bunch of doors Oh, I saw pictures well. of that yeah. show. Yeah, I saw was, photographs. It was incredible. Yeah, and they, that was a neat installation. Yeah. yeah. Well, it's interesting that you say that because it, it, I, I, I want to give a little shout out to our nurse on our campus, Marissa Ketchum, who came to me about two years before we had it. And she said, Anne, I saw this interesting exhibit. Would mm. we, Would you consider showing it on our campus? And I had not seen it. So she brought it to my attention. And I thought it was really interesting, but my first reaction was, well, if we're going to do this. Let's get our own student stories. Let's do yeah. it ourselves and this and that. And, um, and first of all, I do want to say how much I love it when people on campus who are non-artists come to me and say, what do you mm. think about this? Because that mm-hmm. just means so much to me. I love that oh, Marissa yeah. did that. But anyway, so we she said, oh, well, okay, whatever you think, you know, she's allowing me the curatorial you know mm-hmm. authority so as we but but then and then we you have to um apply to get the materials from the women who who put it together yeah. who invented it and we did that and everything and then i got all the materials and after i read about it i said to marissa you know I thought that was a good idea to get our own stories, but now I realize that this is so painful and mm. it's so anonymous with the fact that we get the stories mm-hmm. from them mm-hmm. that I couldn't even imagine trying to do our own stories. That makes sense. And they do have 52 stories. They, they call them stories. Some of them mm-hmm. are, some of them might be yeah, two they're like sentences, a sentence or two. Or yeah. Some might be a little longer. Yeah. Mm-hmm. But they have 52 that you, they send you everything. So you just pick wow. what you want. As a matter of fact, yeah. I went through them, I think, and picked a certain amount. We, yeah. could, we could only show 20 because of the space we had. So I picked, I called it down to a certain amount. And then I asked the students, and at least you were part of that, mm-hmm. to pick the rest. Because then you had to match them up with the clothing. Then mm-hmm. they went and bought the clothing. Right. But yeah, you know, at first I thought, oh, yeah, well, we'll do this, you know, and we'll come up with our own stories. But then mm-hmm. the more you delve into it and realize... It's the hard. work that they did, yeah. you know, it's just like mm-hmm. let's just keep it use their work. Yeah, yeah, definitely. But it was kind of an interesting story too. I don't know if this is a good story for a podcast, but because I don't know if it's that interesting, I guess. <laughs> <laughs> but the exhibit that we did is in our community gallery, which is really a large hallway gallery. It's mm-hmm. not a, a closed space where you have to walk into a room. So as we were starting to assemble the pieces to do this Mm -hmm. it occurred to me that somebody could be walking around the corner and be confronted with this and then read a story that is gonna you know could be very 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 Mm -hmm. upsetting Mm -hmm. which then all of a sudden made me a nervous wreck so we came up with a solution that at the labels with the stories had covers on them so Mm -hmm. you had to walk over and Mm -hmm you know, physically lift the cover up to see what it said. Yeah. Mm. And for our listeners, you can, there are many iterations of this gallery show, so you can look up photos of it online, but the commanding visual part of it is not on a mannequin, not on a hanger or anything. Well, in some shows, I guess, but it's uh, clothing pinned up on 
or hung or however right. um, with the printed story next right. to it. So mm-hmm. and referring to the the content of the story being covered was kind of a way to um, not confront someone with that if they didn't want yeah. to. They didn't yeah. want to be. <laughs> it's, a, right. yeah. it's a trigger warning. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. What's something that an artist should keep in mind when working with an artist administrator? Ooh. Oh, well, listen to them and do everything they tell them to do. On time, <laughs> deadlines are important. No, I'm kidding. No. Um, I, I, yeah. On time. <laughs> no, I'm sorry. You know, it's funny because I don't know how to answer that question. I, seriously. Um, and I, I, I'm okay that I don't know how to answer that question because... All it has to do with just, you know, just do what you're told. Mm. (laughs) No, but it's funny because one where I thought you were going with the question is, is there something that artists, I don't know, how how to get connected to a gallery or get the opportunity? Because, you know, there's a lot of artists out there and there's not always a lot of gallery time. Mm -hmm. Um, And what I would say to something like that is make sure your work is seen. in things like, you know, social media, just being out there. And I can't tell you how many times I've had something rattling around in my brain. And then some artists will be posting like crazy and I'll, and I'll think, oh, this is perfect. Yeah. If that artist hadn't been putting their stuff out there, I would not have seen it. Step back a number of years. Martha Posner is probably one of my all time favorite artists ever. I mean, you know, 20, 30 years ago, I was drooling over her work. So we're friends on Instagram. Not friends. You're not friends on Instagram. I follow her on Instagram. <laughs> I'm showing I'm showing my crone age now. <laughs> so I follow her on Instagram. And um, it just so happened that around that time, she was posting um, images of her slips with the me- hashtag Me Too mm-hmm. inked on them. And she was... showing them on Amy. uh, She was showing Amy's photographs too on her Instagram feed Mm -hmm. and the models that were wearing them. And I was so stricken by those um, images. So when Marissa brought up the idea of what were you wearing, I thought, oh, I wonder if Martha would show those slips because there's a connection there. Mm -hmm. Um, and I hadn't talked to Martha in a very long time. So, you know, I didn't know she'd be interested. She's a pretty big time artist. And so I just called her one day and I said, you know, are you, in- would you be interested in this, having the show? And, she, and it was just perfect timing for her. And then she told me about the connection with her and Amy because I wasn't really sure. I mean, I knew Amy was photographing them and I knew Amy was, is a, a very highly regarded talented um artist uh photographer Mm -hmm. but i didn't really understand what they were you know doing and so she they both agreed to have the show so and so that goes back to this like if Mm. if they hadn't been posting those instagram social media posts i would have never made that connection and it was such a great combination and you know amy uh and i i never really got to know amy that well Mm -hmm. uh, except through this working with her and when, so you, Elise, were at the campus when Amy came to visit to see the show, and I couldn't be there. I forget mm-hmm. why. It was, I don't know, I wasn't there. And um, when Amy told me, you know, like almost a whole year later, how moved she was 
by the what you were wearing exhibit, Mm -hmm. I was stunned. I mean, I didn't, I just didn't realize that there was even that emotional connection, you know, between the the artists and that show. So it really was a special. Yeah, absolutely. Exhibit. So the exhibit to which we were referring um, is titled hashtag me too project. Um, very much inspired by the hashtag me too movement over Instagram and Facebook and Twitter. Um, heavy, like heavy social media movement, mm-hmm. I guess. Um, but Martha Posner had created these amazing uh, slips written like um something you would wear under like a dress or Mm -hmm, something mm -hmm. um not necessarily like underwear but it's it's very uh well they're really old slips yeah they're old she didn't create the slips because she found them and so your generation probably doesn't even know what a slip like that is right right (laughs) um and then written very repetitively over and over again in cursive me too me too me too on the slip Mm. so this very personal garment with that written on it um, over and over again. The project was to have these slips that Martha had handwritten and then to photograph um, a variety of models wearing the slips, do like portraiture, very personal, like f- portraiture photography of them. Um, but I think what Martha and Amy had said was that they had actually let the models choose the slip to wear to reflect their comfort level and what would fit them Mm. um and then had this what it sounded like amazing uh shoot where they had all of the models together in a space they rented out like a a ballroom or something at like a hotel and um closed off all the windows and just let everyone be in the space for the day and take these amazingly personal portraits and i think diversity wise like it reflected such a, a large breadth of women of um different race and size and and sexuality and it was just age it's, age, it's just mm-hmm. such an amazing mm-hmm. exhibit and then like you said paired with the the what were you wearing it it's so interesting how it, it was all very centered around clothing and garments mm-hmm. and it was and not even necessarily maybe on purpose at the beginning but just it was just yeah, such a great yeah. pairing and, and a really mm-hmm. amazing show. Something that sticks with me and I think about it all the time. Yeah. And um, I think I worked for the gallery, uh, like a docent or something at that point. So I was in there like a lot of nights or afternoons. So I have, that's the most photography I've ever done in my life. Like truly good photography was of that show because yeah. I was in there all the time yeah. and so personally connected to mm. it. I have so many photographs yeah. from that show. You know, for some reason, when you were talking about that, it made me think too. Um, I do this as much as I can with the exhibits, where I invite classes um, of you know students, mm-hmm. college students, to come and you know be exposed to the exhibit because you know a lot of these students really aren't that interested maybe in art. They're not going to walk mm-hmm. in the gallery, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. but if their class brings them, like we we do a freshman year experience class, and they learn a lot about life so when i've had that particular exhibit when the students would come in what i asked them to do is write like i break the students maybe a class of 20 into groups of four and i told them to pick one of those images of Mm -hmm. amy's and look at 
the clues like and and make up your own story what's her story mm. um and you know the way she's wearing her hair the look on her face if she had a tattoo um or you know just what her demeanor was and it would force the students to study the image. Mm -hmm. And like I said, they were making up their own story because obviously they don't know these mm -hmm. women. Um, but just what what's her story? And they would come up with these fantastic little stories as a group. They would write something and then one of them would have to read it to the rest of us. And I just love it's, it's nice when there's work that's compelling enough that they can actually study it and mm -hmm. and think about it and realize and kind of get that feeling across to them that when we look at a work of art, we're all bringing our own story to that work of art. So it's really helping them understand that art is really for everybody. You know, it's not just this thing that sits up on a pedestal and it's, it's, you know, separated from us. You know, we can bring our personal story to it and it can have great meaning to us, even if it's not mm -hmm. the artist's meaning that they had intended. Yeah. Were you there when Heather, we had Heather Sincavage's exhibit? So that was right when I first started attending Penn State. So she's a, does a lot of more performance art. And, um, is, and actually I mentioned her before. So she was a student of mine at the bomb school when she was like 11 <laughs> years old. She started taking my jewelry class and then she went to Tyler medals and then she went out West to her, for her MFA. And then she really started becoming more of a performance uh, artist. I, um, I'm thinking of the word she uses to describe her work sometimes and I can't think of it, <laughs> but her exhibit. So is performance art. And some of it's really like different, you know, we mm -hmm. had, we had projections and videos of different performances she did. And, you know, one of them, one of them was a bag. I think it was, a. she didn't do it here. She did it like in New York or something, but it was or Pittsburgh or something, but it was a bag filled with cow manure. I think that was her weight hmm. and it was in a big black bag. And so this video is her pulling it. And I think I'm, I hope I'm saying it right. Um, remembering correctly. But so it's this video of her and she's pulling it really far. And, and uh, all of her, this certain work was about measuring like weight mm. and the weight of things. Mm. And, you know, there's another photograph of her where her neck is red and it, her hair is up, and it's this beautiful photograph. It's black background, and her hair—it's kind of dark. And her uh, her top—you can see the ba her back. Her top is like black, and her neck. Her skin is very, very light white, but she's got this abrasion on the back of her neck, and it was made from swinging um, so a certain specific weight of something back and forth, mm -hmm. and the rope—it was the rope burn from from that weight. And so every piece in the exhibit had to do with like how much dirt was there or how much manure mm. was there or how much weight was here or there and the length of a piece of string. And when, so I bring this up because what was so f much fun for me is when the students would come to look at this, you know, they'd walk in because there was a pile <laughs> of dirt in the corner, you know, mm -hmm. they'd be like, okay, this is an art. So then I would start to talk to them about performance art which i think so many of us find the most elusive you know like what is this about really was made for for someone who doesn't know anything about art because yeah. it's it's this idea that it's for us it's about us it's about life it's like mm. just take that preciousness off of the off the walls and off the pedestal and just be just talk about life 
Yeah. And what and the human experience. Hmm. And that exhibit just allowed us to really talk about that. So it was phenomenal. That's really cool. Yeah, that was my my first introduction to the gallery at Penn State was that exhibit. And coming from I was a transfer student and I was coming from like a very business management focused program. I remember thinking, what have I gotten myself into? (laughs) And I definitely didn't understand. And now being in the Valley and and working, I'm much more familiar with Heather's work now. Mm. And looking back, I was like, wow, I want to look at that from my current perspective versus then that would just be Oh, interesting yeah. conversation. Well, did you see her performance? She also did a performance at the campus. I did, yeah. Yeah, where she was making mar- marks. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. It's very cool. Yeah. So, Anne, um, I did want to reiterate for everyone listening that uh, under normal circumstances, non-COVID times, the Ronald K. DeLong Gallery and the Community Gallery are open to the public. Mm-hmm. Um, so anyone can come in can come and check those out yes yeah and maybe this fall i hope we're open in the fall yeah i hope so too we're going to be doing an exhibit of uh, the artist jason travers he is a professor at lehigh university and um we're gonna well i think we're gonna show we're we're just meeting now about specifically but i think we're going to show his landscapes a lot of them are black and white ink drawings um, but we're also going to do a component about journaling mm-hmm. and i think it'll be interesting after covid and maybe how people have recorded their time yeah. um, because jason has journaled in a sketchbook like f- drawing mm-hmm. he said for i don't know for his whole life yeah yeah so we're going to turn our i think we're going to turn the community gallery into some kind of a community um dip- repository mm-hmm. And uh, so I'm excited. That's really cool. Um, So this fall, if you want to check it out in person and learn a little bit more about when the, what the exhibition is and when the gallery opening will be, you can visit lehighvalley.psu.edu, correct? Yes. And on the homepage, if you scroll down, there's an arts link and Mm -hmm. it'll take you to all the arts activities that are happening, the galleries and the different programs. Very good. And you can also stay up to date with everything on Facebook. The gallery focused uh, page is arts at Penn State Lehigh Valley. Yes. Yeah. And Anne, how about people on Instagram that want to find you? Anne Lalek. (laughs) That's it. My (laughs) my name, Anne Lalek. At Anne Lalek. At Anne Lalek. I don't post that much, but... That's okay. Hey, nothing wrong with that. <laughs> but um, I should. I, I should take my own advice, right? Start posting <laughs> my art. <laughs> <laughs> Very true. Very good. Well, um, Anne, thank you so yeah. much for coming on today. I appreciate, appreciate it very much. Thank <laughs> you both for having me. This was so much fun. And that was our interview with Anne Lollick. Mm-hmm. And thank you very much. And during the interview, we did talk a little bit about the What Were You Wearing art exhibit. And I just wanted to credit um, Jen Brockman and Dr. Mary Wyan-Hybert from the University of Arkansas. They're the ones that uh, came up with the concept and the uh, the setup for the What Were You Wearing exhibit. So yeah. thank you to them.
Yeah, it's such a powerful exhibit. It really is. And yeah. I, I enjoyed working on it as a student and I hope it pops up again in Lehigh Valley somewhere. I'd love to go check it out. This week's opportunity comes from our friend, guest, and my younger brother, Brad. Go ahead, Brad. Hey guys, Historic Bethlehem Museum and Sites is looking for part-time staff for the Docents on Main Street program in Bethlehem. The docent must feel comfortable wearing 18th century period appropriate clothing, enjoy speaking to the public, able to work independently, and provide an exceptional level of customer service. You can check out historicbethlehem.org for more information. Thanks, Brad. And thanks again to everyone listening. As always, we're recording here in Steel Pixel Studios, located in downtown Bethlehem. We hope you enjoyed this week's episode. Please remember to like the podcast, leave us a review, and follow us both on social media and streaming services. We'll see you next week.